Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. We're still doing that weekly thing over the offseason. Today is February 1st, 2021. This is episode 310. We're doing this 2021 thing now, too. My name is Scott Magnus. And I am I are we doing the Jake English thing? I think so. And on this week's show, we'll catch up on all things Birdland since the end of the 2020 season. And we'll also remind ourselves that we have a podcast and that we can occasionally do it. And we'll do that, you know, after we lubricate for the show, because I think we can still drink. So it's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? Scott, I am drinking some Jefferson Reserve this evening, a uh, small, very small batch uh, bourbon, which is very yummy. I, I'm, I'm familiar with this bourbon. Um, I'm, I'm glad it's yummy. Uh, Jake, I am doing um, a, a, a concoction this evening, um, which, you, you know, I love my concoctions. I'm doing something I'm calling the frozen fractal. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, I'll bite. What's in a frozen fractal? So, Jake, uh, in a frozen fractal, I have decided to go out and uh, get some snow uh, freshly packed from outside. Uh, and then I have decided to do some crushed ice on top of it to cause a little bit of a different aspect in terms of a texture basis. Um, and then I've gone ahead and poured water over that as well. And, and that is what I'm drinking this evening. <laughs> you couldn't just drink a tall glass of water. You had to make it weird. Absolutely. That's, that's the bird's eye view way. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad that things have gotten weird. Uh, but it's probably time to make things get weird. Uh, 280 characters at a time on this week on the Twitters this week, Scotty, I'm going to reach back and I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to say good night, sweet Prince. And there were all sorts of references on the web this week, but I'm going to go with Jim Palmer, who of course tweets at Jim 22 Palmer. So happy to hear that Hanzo Alberto signed a minor league deal with the Royals. He will wow them with his work ethic, personality and performance at mass and Orioles. Uh, so yeah, we, uh, we parted ways with Hanser Alberto. It was only a matter of time, uh, before he signed elsewhere. He signed a minor league deal, which is probably appropriate. And, uh, I guess that chapter for Orioles fans is over. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I, I know there's some fans that are upset about it. Ultimately, um, you know, I, I understand the decision that was made. But yeah, no one loves to see a personality leave the team, um, especially without a personality on the team left is the best way to put it. Um, next tweet comes from, well, this one actually looks like it may come from one of our Australian correspondents. And no, we're not talking about Dan Clark. We're talking about the <laughs> Melbourne Aces at Melbourne Aces. Tweet goes as follows. Delman Young, the batting leader last year for the ABL, allows no runs in his first time up on the mound since high school. Unbelievable. I, I, I think you had so to pay for ballet afterwards. 
What's that? I said, do you think you had to pay for valet afterwards? I do. I do. I'm so weirded out by this. First, that we're still talking about uh, Delman Young. Second, that he's playing in the AB- ABL. And third, that he's trying to resurrect himself as as a two-way player. You know what? You know what else is weird? Scott, we got a new smart TV recently, and uh, we, the last TV we bought was back in like, I don't know, 2009, 2010. So it was smart, but it wasn't that smart. Anyway, we got a Samsung, and Samsung TV has like a free cable, okay. uh, like Samsung cable. I don't know how many channels it is, but it, it's some. And uh, I was scrolling through, and it's it's weird stuff. It's like... Uh, there's a channel that plays nothing but Bond films. There's a channel that do you plays have to nothing. like look at certain channels and change the knob slightly because they're scrambled. And if you look no, at them exactly no. the same time, you can see something. Like, they have a they have a this old house channel. They have a, a channel that plays nothing but uh, World Series of Poker. They've got a, a channel that plays nothing but Bob Ross. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, I was scrolling through there and I came across a channel that is not dedicated to this, but was playing an ABL game. So I sat down and I watched two or three innings of Australian baseball. And sadly it was not, uh, Delman young pitching for the aces, but, uh, I, I don't know how long the ABL, uh, season lasts, but I might get myself through the remainder of this off season with a little Australian baseball. Kind yeah. of excited about it. The Samsung cable package is pretty interesting there. Did you see the one, um, where they had the crossover between the Bob Ross and the ABL standpoint, um, in terms of it, they had Bob Ross on there, and Delman Young was actually pitching. And he says, "Okay, let me just go ahead and paint a little anti-Semite out there, and just put that out there." <laughs> We're just gonna some nice happy racist trees. Yeah, put, put that in there. Well, Mazel Tov to Delman Young to uh, going out there and um, pitching for the first time since high school. W- well done, good job. Uh, I think I think we covered a lot of good ground there. Next is a tweet from. Orioles fan problems. That's Orioles fan probs with a Z because they thought it was cool when he was 16. Uh, the tweet is as follows. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. This was a response to a tweet from Lindsay Adler who tweeted sources, colon, Yankees in agreement on a deal with relief pitcher Darren O'Day pending physical. Scott, this is my fault. This is my fault. Darren O'Day for the longest time was the only Oriole who was older than me. And so I said on the regular on this program, Darren O'Day, may he play forever. I was not careful enough. I brought this upon us. You heard who, um, you know, courted uh, Darren O'Day to come to play for the Yankees, right? Was it Britain? No, it was Brian Roberts. (laughs) (laughs) Now now you're just trying to hurt me. Next week comes from Birdland Insider. You can follow them at Birdland Insider. The Orioles are chipping in to help save Baltimore restaurants impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Join the O's and GM Michael Elias, Trey Mancini, and Brooks Robinson in showing your support. Okay, C- kind of cool. Um, there seems to be a lot of this going around lately in terms of uh, folks you know, trying to go out there and, uh, and support Baltimore restaurants. So good for, for the Orioles for trying to do this is, is the best way to put it. Um, that would be interesting to see at the end of the day you know, what kind of financial aspect this looks like, but I'm glad to see, you know, um, you know, some local aspects, but, you know, one was the aspect of doing a $5,000 donation to uh, Jimmy's uh, famous seafood for the famous fund. Um, Trey Mancini dropped another $5,000 in there. I know Adam Jones uh, came back and did some contributions as well. Um, so, so good on the Orioles for contributing to um, a very viral charity aspect going forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned uh, Adam Jones getting involved. It's always good to see him get involved because, you know, I hope he looks back on his time as an Oriole fondly, but uh, it, I feel like it would be possible for him to be salty about the whole Orioles experience. Agree. Agree. All right. Our next tweet comes from Dan Connolly. He, of course, tweets at Dan Connolly 2016. No candidate reaches 75% for the Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling, who made his MLB debut with the Orioles in 1988, gets closest with 71.1%. He falls 16 votes short and has one more shot next year. Um, Scott. Yeah. I understand that in some years, just the way baseball fates are, there are going to be no real slam dunk candidates. And it's possible that from time to time, there may be years in which no Hall of Famers are elected. I think that that's possible. What I will say is I find the drama surrounding Major League Baseball voting to be annoying and a detriment to the game. I'm not saying Agreed. in this specific instance that I'm, you know, lobbying for Kurt Schilling. What I'm saying is that the, the drama around it takes away from what should be a great celebration of the game. It's it's becoming a distraction. I completely agree. I mean, it's it, the 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 Hall of Fame and, and baseball writers of America are quickly um, turning the Hall into. Um, what it really is. It's a, it's a tourist attraction, but it, in essence, it's patriarching back to the aspect of the baby boomers. And I don't see how it is making strides to pull in the next generation is the best way to put it. I, I just, you know, say what you will about Kurt Schilling. I, I have a All right, difficulty. well, we've got about an hour and a half left, so... Um... <laughs> Pause the podcast, say what you will about... Kurt Schilling, then come back to us and hit play when you're done. Um, say what you will about Kurt Schilling. I, I will say that at the point in which uh, you've got players like Ty Cobb in the Hall of Fame, who was, by all accounts, a wretched human being, I'm not really sure that we're celebrating personality as much as we're celebrating on-field performance. I think it's okay to admit to ourselves that the greatest players of all time were not necessarily the greatest people and that great baseball players are not by definition heroes. Some are, and that's great. And those should be celebrated, but those who are not heroes aren't necessarily less from a baseball standpoint. Yeah. I'm going to be really interesting to see, um, what happens next year? I'm not surprised by by these numbers. I mean, when this Hall of Fame ballot came out, I was looking at this like, I can pick 10 easily here. Um, and I, I'm looking more so at next year because that's going to be the really interesting year. You've got Bonds and Clemens coming up for their 10th year, but you also have some really unique names coming onto, uh, onto the ballot for 2022. You've got A-Rod coming onto the ballot for in 2022 for the first time. And you also have David Ortiz coming out to the ballot for 2022. Hmm. So I, I am almost like, are we really just going to, in essence, skip over an entire generation going forward um, and basically say, nope, we're not going to put them in because we are quickly coming up on that. I mean, a part of me is just like, 
just bring them all in together. You know, bring in Bonds, bring in Clemens, bring in A-Rod, bring in Ortiz, and just see them all in together and just say, it was part of the game. It was, you know, a part of the aspect. Everyone was at fault. Um, we're going to document it, and we're going to go from there. Just like we're going to document the, you know, like you said, uh, racial, um, you know, biases and prejudice that was prevalent through MLB um, during the early half of the 20th century. Yeah, and I've come a long way on the steroids, guys, getting into the hall. You know, there was a time that I thought, oh, these guys, you know, cheated baseball, let them rot. But, you know, we contextualize the game through the Baseball Hall of Fame and through the Baseball Hall of Fame Museum, right? The Baseball Hall of Fame tells the story of the game that we love so much. And part of the story during that particular era was steroids and what they accomplished on the field because of them. Just like, you know, the dead ball or the spit ball or not having to compete against African-American players, you contextualize everything. And, you know, forgive me for being an activist podcast, Scott, but uh, I think I can deal with the fact that I think Kurt Schilling is a schmuck and deal with the fact that he was good enough to get into the hall. And see, that's my question is, you know, I look at it and I look at Kurt Schilling and I, I look at his his record uh, and specifically the Jaws aspect. And he's borderline to me, um, you know, outside of everything else, he's borderline for me. Do I put him in? Probably based off of other folks that are in there. Um, but, you know, obviously I'm on the aspect of like Bonds and Clemens absolutely need to be in there. Um, you know, David Ortiz is another one where. You know, on any other team besides Boston, I, I just don't see how he gets on there. But I'm sure he'll get on there as a first or second ballot player because of the Boston cred is the best way to put it. So, well, well be, I'll, I'll we'll, say we'll if he doesn't get in, then the writers are clearly just phoning it in. That or it's just the aspect of just like we saw with the private ballot where individuals just don't want to basically put their their public aspect out there. Um, it was still interesting, though, to see. Um, the more private ballots um, register so poorly for like a player like Omar Vizquel, um, even after the controversy came out, you know, earlier during the balloting process in terms of the domestic abuse standpoint. So I don't know what to make of it, honestly. Um, it, it's just there's a lot of contradictions right now in the Baseball Writers of America, and there really needs to be a an understanding going forward of what is going to be best for the hall of fame or if the hall of fame even really even matters going forward for, for generations to come. Well, I, I look at the hall of fame in the, in again, the storytelling um, format. And so I, I think to myself of the hall, which players are integral to the, the tale of a 10, 15, 20 year period of the game. Right. And when you look at a player like David Ortiz, you know, I, d- I do think that he defined in many ways that era of baseball. A big, burly hitter who had next zero additional baseball skills was incredibly successful. He was incredibly successful for a period of time. And I think that says something about the game. And I think that, you know, his, his on the field um, 
accomplishments can be heralded and again contextualized uh, with with the time, and I, I think that that ought to be compared to you know a Pete Rose style player, a Ricky Henderson style player. You know, as uh, you know, as ten year olds walk through the museum yeah, twenty years from now, whatever um, you know, whatever prototypical baseball players look like then. Fair enough. Yeah, like I said, I, I do think there is this aspect of generational standpoint where you've got to look at it and put it in perspective. And I think war has tried to do that from a statistical standpoint, but I completely agree with you of there is certainly an, an aspect as it relates to storytelling that is equally as important for the whole. Um, and that is both the positive and negative connotations behind it as well, um, well in terms of putting it into the whole. The, the biggest Hall of Fame question I think that can be answered is um, – what pose will the Orioles choose for Ryan Flaherty's uh, statue that goes up in Legends Park when he is uh, is made an Oriole, uh, a baseball Hall of Famer? That's pretty obvious to me. Um, by that time, um, Ryan Flaherty being retired, we should be at some more advanced sculpture techniques. So you'll actually be able to look at it and see his mouth moving and saying, come on, mother effer. Thanks for coming with me on that one. I appreciate no it. No problem. <laughs> Scott, I, th- I think that we've... We've squeezed everything that the internet had to offer from us uh, for for the past week or so while we were away. But, uh, you know, there was additional baseball news and Orioles news uh, that happened over the last couple of weeks. What do you say we take a a quick break? Maybe you can refill your snow and we'll come back and talk about it. All right, so Scott, I think it's been pretty well covered at this point. We're not breaking news by any stretch of the imagination. But the Orioles turned some heads. Okay, not the Orioles. Masson turned some heads uh, recently by making some pretty significant cutbacks. Um, For the Orioles, that was uh, a series of staff cuts that hit home in a lot of ways. Um, You know, it hit home for me because uh, we will no longer have Brian Roberts on the broadcast. Um, but more importantly, obviously, Gary Thorne. Uh, Gary Thorne is uh, is no longer going to be associated with the team. He's not going to be broadcasting. And that's a huge loss, I think, the Orioles fans. Uh, I don't think anybody took for granted how good we had it with that A crew, Gary Thorne and Jim Palmer. Uh, no, I, I, I think we all actually knew how good we had it. Um, I'm going to correct on that one. I, I think it's more of a situation that we knew how good we had it. We We enjoyed it. Um, every night, um, I think, you know, ultimately it's still going to be a really good broadcast in some nights. Um, but it's always interesting to me of this aspect of, you know, I, I look at some other individuals that were, you know, part of these cuts. Um, and I'm wondering, are we entering into that a squad and B squad <laughs> once again, uh, of this, of the, this mass and era, <laughs> So, you know, it's interesting. I don't know what the Orioles are going to do with the mix and match of their radio and television talent. Um, I was talking to my stepdad about this earlier this week. And, you know, you and I are lucky enough to have 
lived in an era in which we could fall asleep listening to John Miller's voice. Um, and we also lived in an era in which we could listen to Fred Manfra. Right. We lived through, you know, Gary Thorne and Jim Palmer, which I, I think was just a dynamic uh, pairing. So we've, we've had it pretty good. I think what I'm most excited about in terms of the Orioles broadcasting team is about our kids in the fact that, you know, a lot of the Orioles broadcasters are on the younger side and have the opportunity to be with the team for a long time. And I don't necessarily think that they are John Miller's or Fred Manfred's and that, that will yet to be seen. But I think that, you know, you know, Henry's 10, right? He could very well listen to the same voices call Oriole games for the next 20 to 30 years and build a relationship with those broadcasters in a way that we built it with some truly great ones. So yeah, turning the page, particularly turning the page from a guy like Gary Thorne is heartbreaking, right? Having to have been without Fred Manfred, we, we already know Fred Manfred, listen to me, uh, Joe Angel, <laughs> Fred Manfred, uh, Joe Angel, um, you know, having to be without that was painful. We, we, you know, we've had that experience once, but I think we've got a lot of talent to turn the page too. And again, I, I think that they have the opportunity to forge a relationship with the, the fans, particularly the younger fans, because this is going to be the broadcast crew that's going to take us into the next uh, notable period of Orioles baseball. Agree with that. Of um, you know, we can be candid and say, you know, Gary is also you know starting to get up there in age as well. So mm-hmm. I don't think it was a situation where Gary was going to go have to go away in the next you know you know two to three years and say I'm retiring. Um, I, I do think this was a a a, dis, a business disagreement on both parties. Part pep, but we have had conversations on this podcast in previous years of. What does that next generation look like? Like, who are the Orioles going to pull from? Um, and the Orioles certainly have rebooted. And uh, they are getting ready for potentially the next 10 to 15 years um, with the crew that they have at hand. Um, so, you know, I, I agree with you. I'll be interested to see what kind of dynamics they use, um, both in terms of social media, um, what they use in terms of other content streams, um, and, and how do they engage their audience not just in the suburbs like our kids are, but also in, in an urban setting as well. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. Um, you know, represent representation mattering. And, uh, you know, on the broadcast, do you hear someone that you think looks like you? <laughs> um, I think another thing that that's interesting about the cuts that were made is that they really, um, they really made cuts that, have the opportunity of impacting relationships, long-standing relationships. And when you look at some of the names of the, the folks that are no longer associated with the broadcast right now, you know, you've got guys like Rick Dempsey, who, you know, I'm not going to miss in the booth or in the post-game shows at all. You mean future manager Rick Dempsey. Right. But they, they've got part of the stadium named after him. You know, he was the the MVP of their last uh, World Series team. That's a relationship that uh, you know they're they're taking the risk of endangering. I would argue that a guy like uh, Mike Bordick, who again, I'm not going to particularly miss his contributions to the broadcast, but 
you know, he was associated with Orioles winning teams. He has helped out in spring training with, you know, mild light coaching. Uh, but that's a relationship that, uh, you know, they, they're parting with potentially. And you look at a guy like Tom Davis, who's been in some way associated with the Orioles for a long time, for a generation or more. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, they, they have parted with, with folks, um, that, you know, have the opportunity to, to leave a, a foul taste, you know, or the mouth, not just of the relationship, but also in the, the people that have watched these, these folks like, you know, Jim Hunter's another one. I, I am on record for not enjoying Jim Hunter's call of the baseball game, uh, particularly on the radio when you can't see it and know that he's uh, delivering it through orange colored glasses. But I will say that as an Orioles fan, there is part of me that is a little bum that somebody who loves the Orioles that much, who bleeds black and orange so visibly is now severed from having a relationship with the ball club. It's, it's a bummer. I think, <laughs> I think it's uh, for the better of the product but from a personal standpoint, from a human standpoint, it's uh, it's a shame. You're right. There is a lot of personal aspects, but ultimately it is a business and the business had to make a decision based off of probably liquidity issues. Um, and in essence, they got rid of a generation that was well represented from, we'll call it the 70s and 80s. Um, and, and a generation that you know may not be turn, tuning in as much as you know, they want them to. Um, so I, like I said, I'm okay with it. I think it's, you know, overall, none of these individuals are going to be like, no, none of these want me, make me want to do copy pasta is the best way to put it. Um, <laughs> I do wonder, it's an interesting standpoint as you brought up with Dempsey in terms of the brew pub um, and whether that's going to be rebranded. I mean, I'm wondering if we can cut a deal with Chris Davis and we can turn it into crushers crushes um, out there in right field. Ouch. Ouch. Now hear me out here. What about what about a bar totally dedicated to Brian Roberts? Have we considered that? Uh, I don't think we have. What would we call it? Um Diana the lead the leadoff spot. Oh, the leadoff spot. <laughs> don't drink too many or you'll get dizzy. <laughs> I was desperately trying to avoid that. Bright but, lights. Uh, <laughs> Um, okay, so Masson's had some changes. You mentioned liquidity changes or li- liquidity problems. So it's really hard to read into this in a way that doesn't say that the the Orioles are really hurting for money. And of course, it's it's difficult to disassociate the Orioles and Masson because of the the ownership uh, you know piece there. But Masson, in addition to cutting a bunch of staff for the Orioles, cutting some staff for the Nationals, has also said that the teams are now going to be responsible for producing and paying for their own pre- and post-game content, and that Masson will provide a 15-minute, quote-unquote, pre-game and post-game show that has the same uh, same talent as the broadcast itself for that day. Um, is is uh is Masson and the Orioles by extension in trouble financially? Yes, because we covered this back in the day when the Masson case was going through arbitration. The case deal specifically was that 
you know, the Orioles wanted to continue on with Masson with the agreement that was in place. And the profit structure would have given them around 16 to 17%, which is again, healthy for a business um, in, in that in that marketplace. Um, and, you know, the agreement that Major League Baseball wanted to have them go to basically forced them to have a profit share of 5%, which, you know, if you go to a pro- 5% profit margin, then you, you basically lost 10% of your liquidity. If you lose 10% of your liquidity, then you're going to have to make decisions. One of those decisions was cutting staff. The other one is this, which is, you know, if you're going to want pregame and postgame shows, then by gosh, you're going to have to pay for it. So again, it, it is putting back this effort onto the Nationals and basically saying, great, we will broadcast your games through the Regional Sports Network feed. But if you want anything extra that broadcasts your brand, then you're going to have to pay additionally for it. So a part of me looks at this as kind of a tit for tat um, of saying, if you want to cut us and bleed us dry, that's fine. But these are the ramifications for cutting a dry of you're going to lose a little bit of your brand exposure. Is it possible that the Angeloses are going to lose in court? You don't hear that very often and have to pay the Nationals a hundred uh, what a hundred million dollars uh, going back to 2012. So uh, I think ultimately um, there there's going to either be a worked out deal between. The Orioles and uh, and 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 Major League Baseball eventually um, of either there'll be a concession made or there'll be an aspect where Masson just says we're willing to in essence sign away uh, the rights to the Nationals and the Orioles for a massive amount of money, like a massive amount of money, um, and we'll see what happens. Uh, I again. Masson is one portion of the picture from the liquidity standpoint. Obviously, the Orioles are not doing well from a liquidity standpoint, but no Major League Baseball team is doing great from a liquidity standpoint at this given time um, with the 2020 season. So I'd say let's let's let everything stabilize over a full year of baseball, and then let's kind of maybe take a little more of a look. But right now, everything's kind of in a flux period. I'm really... I'm not concerned on this aspect um, in terms of the case aspect. If the Orioles have to pay $100 million, they have to pay $100 million. But the Orioles are making the right decisions that they need to do at this given time um, that are appropriate for the repercussions that came out of the 2020 market and that are going to be coming on with the 2021 aspect as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds so obvious to say that 2020 you know sucked the money out of baseball. Uh, I think you know some estimates have uh, ba- Major League Baseball going from uh, you know almost a ten billion dollar profit industry uh, to losing out on three billion of that in 2020, which still means um, they made seven billion dollars. Right. <laughs> like, right. let's put that in context. That does not mean they had negative three billion dollars. That means they made seven billion dollars. Like. That is a lot of money. Like, <laughs> yeah, sure, but just like just like anybody else, you know, if you if you wipe out, you know, a third of somebody's paycheck, oh, they, they've gotten used to to needing that that third, right? Absolutely. Yeah. If if you are basically wiping your butt with hundred dollar bills, if you've got to go to twenty dollar <laughs> bills, then my gosh, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Andrew Jackson, you don't feel very good. 
<laughs> it's plain. That's why they're switching to Tubman, right? It's plain as the nose in your face, though. I mean, you, there were fewer advertising opportunities in 2020. You know, they went down from 300 plus games to 120. Um, and, and advertisers are hurting financially. And I can't believe that any you know smaller local businesses are rushing to go buy ads on mass. And I mean, you, you look at the Super Bowl this year, Coke and Pepsi have pulled out of Super Bowl ads. Um, and those are, you know, massive multinational corporations. So yeah, there's less money uh, flowing into Masson and therefore uh, to the Orioles and the Nationals. But Scotty, it would be one thing if we had all of this, oh, you know, the Orioles and or Masson are trying to cheapen, cheapen it up because of, uh, you know, the ongoing Masson dispute. But on top of all of this, which is unsettling from a dollars and cents standpoint, you get the reports that the Orioles tried to negotiate salary deferments in 21 to their arbitration eligible players like Anthony Santander and Trey Mancini. That's the point at which I'm like, guys, are you okay? Yeah. You, you all right? Did Did you look under the couch cushions? You guys need a payday loan? Like, would would, right. would be Chris willing to? loan you some money on like a, a low interest rate yeah I, I i do agree with you with this like this is one of those ones that really makes you raise your eyebrows and be like is it really that bad like is it really that bad now i will say that you know the reported deal that came out today that we'll talk about a little bit later of the Orioles sending seven million dollars back to the angels potentially does make me feel a little bit better but yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about this aspect of the salary deferment aspect in terms of what that actually means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Major League Baseball was willing to uh, lend a lot of money to the uh, team down the road. Maybe, uh, maybe if they're hard up for cash, they'll lend the Orioles some money. Uh, zero chance of that happening. But <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Um, you know, I, 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 the Masson thing is. Um, an interesting scenario. It, it, it's also, we didn't even talk about it, but obviously the other thing from Masson was them announcing that they're coming to coming out with a, a game app um, to basically watch games oh, while oh, in market. I've, I've got, I've got opinions. Well, let's put a pin in that. We'll come we'll, back. We'll, we'll put opinions on that a little bit later. Um, but again, there's a lot of shakeups occurring um, at Masson and everything like that. So again, we knew that, the Orioles were going to be changing um, under uh, under John and stuff like that. So I, I think there's nothing I see here that really scares me. I'd say that the Mancini and the Santander one was the only one I'm like, eh. but everything else is pretty cut and dry to me from a business standpoint. Do you think that uh, the Orioles will pony up for post uh, pre and post game shows in uh, 2021? Or do you think we'll go an entire season or more with the truncated 15 minute uh, affairs? I don't think we are going to see much of it. I, the only thing I can think of is I'm wondering if um, like the Orioles radio network um, in essence does something um, and basically says like, Hey, maybe we'll we'll pull something together like 105.7. We'll pull something together to basically sponsor it or something like that. Either uh, that or simulcast. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It's just simulcast, basically. Um, that's I think the best they're gonna we're gonna get is the best way to put it. What about a bird's eye view 
pre and post game show. We we could offer that to Masson for pennies on the dollar. We could, and I know there are various podcasts out there uh, currently talking about that. So um, we <laughs> we we used to do a pre and a post game show with BSR. It was a lot of fun. There, like I'm a, I'm not sure anybody watched, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So who knows? Maybe the local podcast and uh, local sportscasters will you know, do something of interest out there. Um, I will also point out that it is a really long season and I give props to folks like Gandon chat that do daily recaps every single game. Um, I don't know how people do that. Um, so by all means, like I said, I think it's a labor of love is the best way to describe it. And, um, we're, we're two old men and, uh, We'll see how much of that we can actually do. <laughs> well, you know, with uh, with with the money drying up at Mass, and it's going to have to be a labor of love uh, for whoever does it. No doubt. And like I said, it's 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 you're not in it for the monetary basis. You're in it just for the love of baseball. So, uh, you know, uh, all I can say to that is, you know, uh, Jim Hunter, if you're looking to do it pro bono, <laughs> put those orange glasses back on and uh, let's let's get get going. Can you imagine having Jim Hunter on the show? Oh, man. It would be really Good morning, Oriole fans. How are you doing? It's Jim Hunter here. And boy, we've got a game in store for you tonight. I'm Jim Hunter, and I'm here supporting Catholic Charities of Baltimore. Oh, man. That's that's true. That's going to be the worst part of uh, of Jim Hunter being gone, is that you will be able to tell fewer Catholic Charities of Baltimore jokes. Or will I? I mean, I'm still telling Diana Roberts jokes. <laughs> um, Fair enough. We'll see what happens. All right. So we have, I think, exhausted the non-dollars and non-sense uh, taking place with Masson and the Orioles. Let's take a quick break, and we'll go around the bases for all things Baltimore baseball in the last week. All right, let's start going around the bases and let's start out at first base this evening. Um, you know, I mentioned it earlier in the p- p- podcast, um, but the Orioles have a tentative deal uh, with the Angels sending Alex Cobb to them. Um, and, and it looks like the Orioles are going to be paying for a little more than half of Cobb's $15 million salary. And they're getting a pretty interesting prospect back in return. Uh, Jake, why don't you talk a little bit about it? Sure. So this is a second baseman slash center fielder. I didn't know that those existed. Uh, I believe it's Jemai Jones. He's 23. He's the Angels. Well, he was the Angels seven, uh, number seven prospect. Let me just take a uh, break there. Scott, the Angels farm system, not particularly uh, well regarded, correct? 2008 Orioles. 2008 Orioles. Gross. All right. Uh, so he was their number seven uh, prospect. I think he'll probably be late teens or maybe around 20 as far as the Orioles system is, cor- uh, is concerned. That's what, what most people reported. They thought that they'd probably he'd probably be, you know, late teens, maybe 20s uh, aspect in terms of our prospects. So eh, like yeah. not bad. I mean, not great either. <laughs> so, uh, you know, from what I've read, he's, he's probably uh, major league ready. Um, his, the, the shine is worn off for him being a, a candidate to have, you know, a breakout career, um, uh, but might 
have a ceiling as an, as an unremarkable everyday guy. Um, and so for the Baltimore Orioles here in 2020, he's going to get a shot to at least be a, a utility player. Uh, I think with, with a couple of things to note, uh, first the outfield, um, makeup it, with the lack of center field backup options. And, and secondly, with Richie Martin, uh, breaking the haymate bone, um, you know, you look at the outfield, you got Austin Hayes, who's obviously, I think a slam dunk to make the, the, the roster. And then behind him, you either have to have Cedric Mullins as an extra outfielder, or you need to be okay with occasionally playing Anthony Santander in center, which, uh, I would argue is <clears throat> suboptimal. So I, I think, uh, having, uh, Jones in a utility role with the ability to play center field, really gives you greater roster flexibility. Um, I also think they'll probably want to kick the tires on this guy to see what they've got. And if they have to send him down to the minors, you know, they really haven't lost much. So are we calling this guy Dr. P- Dr. PP? <laughs> I don't know that I'm ready to go uh, bodily function doctor yet, but uh, possibly okay. possible. I, I, would, I would say obviously a higher ceiling than Dr. Poo Poo. Are you sure about that? Do we know he can pitch? I do, I do not know. I do not. And how know. dare you, sir? <laughs> so I mean, a lot of a lot of people are saying, "Oh, okay, yeah, this this is a pretty good deal." I'm not blown away, but this is this is good news. I mean, what what are your thoughts on the on the move? Well, we wanted to trade Cobb, so yay. Um, I'm a little surprised that it happened over the off season, and it didn't happen halfway through the season. Um, but again, the Orioles wanted to trade him. They didn't want to, uh, in essence, get through the whole year and basically have wasted value. I'm a little surprised someone wanted to take a flyer on Cobb. I mean, I guess for $8 million, you know, that's kind of the going rate right now for veteran pitchers that are out there. So um, I, I'm just a little surprised is the best way to describe it. For for $8 million for the Angels to pick him up um, and then give away a prospect with it, like, okay, like, I'll, I'll take it. It's basically getting a prospect for free um is the best way to put it so that sounds great to me the orioles and the angels seem to be developing a a bit of a relationship uh from a trade standpoint i mean this is now i think the third deal uh in the last couple years uh, between the orioles and the angels I, i don't know what to make of that is it coincidence is it the fact that you know they've researched one another well uh in previous deals um what 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 gives with the uh, frequent trades with the Angels? I'm assuming it's got to be a front office accord. Like there has to be something going on where Elias or somebody within the front office knows somebody um, within the Angels organization and and has a good relationship to basically you know make it happen. I mean these kind of deals normally fall apart because you know someone wants to hold on to that prospect a little too closely because they overvalue it. So um, you know. Elias or whoever is talking and kind of arranging these deals or getting them seen through the process must be able to talk just the right aspect to them to basically say, here's why you shouldn't be so worried about it. Um, you know, we, we've seen Elias do this on several instances. Um, sometimes he does the scattershot too. This was not that scattershot approach. So it's really interesting that he, he went with the approach of just saying, I'm going to target somebody. Um, 23 years old too. Um, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think he's going to be a, a great all-star player, but I also don't think he 
is not that bad. I, like, I, I could see him being kind of like a Ryan Flaherty type player, honestly. Um, so I, I, I think it's a great move. Like I said, I think it saves the Orioles money. Oh, again, we talked about liquidity issues. I think that's great too. Um, and, and in essence, you wanted to get this done at some part portion during the season. You got it done before the season started. Exactly what the Orioles needed to do going into 2021. Yeah, I think if you get any player who can contribute at the major league level in any role over the next couple of years. And again, we're hoping that the next few years are are fun for the Orioles. If you can get a guy like that, and you know, if you think he can, he can get to the ceiling ceiling of uh, Ryan Flaherty, even better uh, for, you know, a year of Alex Cobb. Great. That that's great. The, the only thing I'll say <clears throat> on the other side of the ledger for this particular trade is that Alex Cobb, his his time with the Orioles has kind of been a disaster. La- last year was less of a disaster. And the only thing that you could say about Alex Cobb in 2021 was that he would probably be more durable than he had been in previous seasons based on what we saw in a short season in 2020. What does his absence do to the Orioles rotation? I don't think it changes it one way or the other. Um, we always, when Alex Cobb was signed, we talked about the ability for him to come in. And this was during what, the 2017 season? And we said, I'm sorry, the 2018 season. We said, um, you know, this is going to be the Orioles' last chance to go out there, compete. Uh, <laughs> and, and sure enough, it was the last chance for the Orioles to go out there and try to compete. Um, so, I appreciate what Alex Cobb was able to do. You know, in that 2018 season, he came out there and gave 150 innings pitch, but past that, it's been an absolute disaster of a contract. Um, an absolute disaster. I would go on record in saying I would say the Abaldo Jimenez contract was a better contract than Alex, than Alex Cobb. Mm-hmm. How do you think Alex Cobb would have performed in Toronto? Um, probably about the same, honestly. <laughs> All right, let's take a look real quick at the rotation uh, that we can expect for, for 2021, right? John Means slam dunk. Yep. I, I would say beyond that, you're probably looking at Dean Creamer and Keegan Aiken to get rotation spots. Yep. And then looking at the rest of the roster, frankly, the other two starters, I would expect to be, you know, Tommy Malone style signings from outside of the organization. And the risk of those guys not giving the Orioles meaningful innings uh, for the the entirety of the season is pretty great in in my view. I think, yeah, again, big big fan of the trade. I think that uh, Elias, you know, did great work with it. But I, I do think that the move makes the Orioles rotation more vulnerable, and and I think that it increases the chance of having some guys come up, have bad experiences. Um, and you know, possibly have an impact to at least the start of their career in a way that's not necessary. You're absolutely right. The Orioles went from having the number 30th uh, worst-rated uh, starting pitching rotation uh, as per Fangraphs, and they are now at the, oh, the number 30th ranked uh, starting pitching rotation in baseball um, after this trade. Yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I agree that it is going to probably be something similar to that and you know someone's going to get signed off or you know someone's going to get picked up here um but 
yeah, I mean, it's the orders are going to fill in with various people um, that are probably not going to be top prospects. Um, Bruce Zimmerman, Michael Ballman, um, Zach Lothar, Tom, Tom Eshelman, Tom Eshelman. Is he with the organization where I think he got released? Didn't he? Oh, he's back. Oh, is he back? Damn it. I was really hoping he was gone. Um, like I said, it, I'm I'm not really worried about it. Um, and I also somewhat wonder if it's a situation where um, maybe the Orioles think that some of those prospects are going to be ready halfway through the season and they want to bring them up. Maybe they're going to say, hey, they're starting out of Bowie, but by June and July, we want them to have two months available in the majors just to get a feel for it so that when 2022 rolls around, they're in the starting rotation ready to go. Right. You got to pull right. the trigger eventually. You got to pull the Band-Aid off. Um, and I keep I, I said this when we started the rebuild. I said 2023 is is the year people need to be looking looking towards. And I said I'm not guaranteeing World Series or anything like that. I'm just saying that's the year that you know some of the magic might be coming back. And I'm I'm not ready to quite commit to that. I have to see what 2021 looks like. But uh, it's very possible 2023 could be it. Well, from your lips to God's ears. All right, let's let's head over to second base, shall we? Sure, that sounds good. So we, we alluded to this earlier with Masson going to start a streaming service, sort of. Um, so you have to have a cable login in order to use this streaming service. Jake, you have opinions on this. I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, what are we doing here? Why are we advertising this as a streaming service? This is an app for cable subscribers. This is for people that don't have televisions but have cable packages. This is for people that would like to watch Oreo games on a five-inch screen in their bed rather than on a 50-inch screen on their couch. This is not what we hope it's going to be. This is when people heard, oh, the Oreos are going to allow, Masson's going to allow streaming games. People thought, oh, thank God I can cut the cord. That's not what this is. And the the Orioles are are going to continue to be roped into a deal that is going to be dependent on cable, uh, and it's a massive, massive not surprise but disappointment to me. At some point, we need to figure figure this out. But but I will say that the danger is, you know, coming up with a model that overcomes the loss of cable. Money, right? Because you look at uh, Mass right now, it gets three dollars for every subscriber for you know Verizon and Comcast and Armstrong and whoever else in the market. Um, what's the break-even point for the Orioles or for Masson for you know the number of people flocking away from cable to be able to to make more money by charging specifically for their own product to the people who want it? I don't know what that is, and I don't know how much it's going to cost people like us. But this is not this is not what people hoped it was when they read that headline. So I hear what you're saying, and I agree with the minority of it. I don't agree with the majority of it. I agree with the minority of it. First of all, this is big news. To be able to watch it on another screen besides your television is a huge deal. I mean, we talked about it before of, you know, um, our kids and stuff like that. Our kids are not going and, and watching games on a television. No, they're going to have it on their iPads. They're going to have it on their phones. They're going to be watching it in that fashion. Jake, I know personally well that you watch many videos late at night on your iPhone, okay? 
I, I don't even need to scramble those. You don't even need to scramble it. You just throw it in incognito mode and you just go for it. So listen, you have no issues with watching streaming content in that kind of fashion. So what would be the issue with seeing a bunch of batted balls on your screen on a daily daily basis? There is none. I mean, this is just a common occurrence. Um, so Jake, what, what I'm trying to say here is, um, outside of hashtag dongs after dark, um, what I'm trying to say here is, uh, this is, again, we talked about the next generation. This is the next generation standpoint. This is what is going to become the norm. Um, it's not going to be the norm of, you know, in essence, watching a television. It's the convenience factor. It's the aspect of, I can be out, I can have my tablet, I can just flip it open. Um, I can be at a bar, I can be drinking a beer, and I don't have to be scrambling around being like, well, where's the TV? I could just bring my iPad with me and just be sitting at a brewery with my iPad flipped open and just watching the game as it's going about. Are um, you saying that I'm an old man? Of course what, I am. What this, that what this move is about is really about the survival of the game. Jake, in- you've been trying to get the Washington Post delivered to your house for months. Of course you're an old man. You're the <laughs> oldest of old men. They can't get it consistently to my house, and it's driving me nuts. I've got to say, what kind of person is just like, listen, I know I'm not in your subscription area, but I really want to feel the touch of paper against my skin. <laughs> They've done it once or twice. I know they can do it. All right, back to Madison. So this is a bigger it's like deal. It's a drug deal. They're like, we're going to tease a- you once or twice, <laughs> get you drawn in, and then we're going to be like, you know what? The Sunday edition is actually ours. You'll have to pay extra for that. <laughs> All right, stop pouring salt on my wounds. You're telling me this this is a bigger deal than I'm making it out to be. This is a, it's a, good, it's a hashtag th- good thing. This is a hashtag good thing. This is no different than... Currently, my kids going on to um, Roku or uh, or anything else, and basically just signing into PBS Kids or signing into Nickelodeon or signing into a Disney Channel that we have a cable subscription to, and just it has to basically prompt up and say, "Make sure you have a cable subscription. If you do, you have access to it. If you don't, you've got to pay a service fee." I think eventually we are going to get to that service fee model, but let's not demand everything at once, especially with this kind of. Uh, kitty wampus aspect that Masson is in currently i think in the next i'm gonna say two to five years your dreams will come true jake and you can finally walk away from cable in its entirety and move to a complete streaming package so you think that this is the gateway drug to that i think this is the gateway drug just like the sunday paper from washington post was for you <laughs> easy pal easy easy all right let's move on to third base uh third base i want to talk about other uh, roster items from the last couple weeks. Uh, Scotty, I'm going to start with the one of which I am the least knowledgeable, and I will apologize right off the top. But the Orioles signed 17 international players. And the, the thing that I thought was most interesting about this, and it goes back to our discussion about the money, this is the uh, biggest investment in international signings in franchise history, uh, more than $5.5 million. What do you make of a move like this? Is this a big deal considering where we're coming from? Is it not a big deal because it's, uh, you know, the 21st century and this is baseball? Where do you fall on this? Um, So it's a big deal on the basis of it's a lot different than what the Orioles have done previously. It's still not at like a really high level. But it's good to see that the Orioles are approaching um, being in the middle of the pack as opposed to not being in the pack whatsoever. Um, so I'm okay with that. 
here's why I like it. I hope that the Orioles are involved enough in the international market that Orioles fans, myself included, won't view it as such a new, interesting, and special thing that we um, that we allow ourselves to get duped into the uh, Victor Victor Mesa discussion, right? Oh my gosh, it's a it's a international prospect that's going to change the the franchise. We've actually got a chance to get him. Yes. No, let's let's just do the international market intelligently, get players like we would anywhere else, you know, diamonds in the rough, being able to identify talent, making it part of the, the standard business practice, and just, you know, act like we've been there before. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I wanted to pull the number up because I thought I had it right. Um, but the one joke that we always used to make with the Baltimore Orioles during the Dan Duquette era was, how much international signing bonus money did we trade away in order to get this prospect? Um, and going into this year, the Orioles had $5.9 million worth of bonus slot money that was available that they could sign into players. Now, of course, they can trade for additional money, as as we know teams can do, or you can trade it away. Um, but the Orioles have a, a, a bank, basically, where they can expend out of their pocketbooks $5.9 million. Now, that doesn't mean Major League Baseball is giving them $5.9 million. It means that they have the ability to spend up to it. So spending 5.5 out of that 5.9 million is a really good sign is the best way to put it. Um, again, there's a bunch of other teams that did the same thing. So let's not give them total like, oh, my God, they're great. But again, at least they're doing what they should be doing is the best way to put it. And, um, you know, going out there and signing um, a bunch of international players. And we'll see what happens again. Um, this is kind of a, a lottery and a roulette wheel. Uh, and we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, we talked about a middle infielder uh, joining the Orioles a little bit earlier. The Orioles made a move uh, pretty recently to um, you know, plug a gaping hole in, in their lineup. And so, uh, Scotty, the Alex Cintron Award recipient for uh, 2021 is a guy named Freddie Galvis. What do you make of the Freddie Galvis signing? Um, you know, low cost, good defensive shortstop. Um, you know, it, it's not going to wow us with the bat. I, I think it's fine. I mean, it's it's a it's a placeholder is the best way to put it. Um, but it's not going to be as exciting as you know some other shortstops that we have seen in the past. So I, I'm okay with it. It's not exciting. It's not going to lead to like, well, we'll let's see what we can get for him at the you know at the trade deadline. He's a stopgap for the time being until the Orioles figure out what their infield is going to look like going into future seasons. Yeah, he, um, you know, he he maxed out uh, for his career last year. Well, last year, toss that aside. Uh, so in 2019, his way to runs created plus was 89, um, which was you know just about a, a career high. And, uh, you know, at some point uh, back in 2016, he was a 2.3 war player, but he's a one to one and a half war player now. Uh, it's fine on a club that's not going to compete. Yeah. He's 30. Look, he's yeah. 31 years old, too. So it's it's I'm saying like you'll get maybe one or two years out of him and then you just you move on is the best way to put it. Um, yeah. And then you've got to have an op. You've got to have an option um, ready in the wings for him. It, maybe it's you know, maybe it's Gunnar Henderson. Um, but. Uh, again, it, you know, it's a good stopgap. And again, um, we we talked about this during the rebuild. 
this is an individual that I'm going to watch, but I'm not going to get invested in because he's not going to be part of the future for me. I'm going to be looking at other players that are much more intriguing to me because I know they're going to be part of the future, such as, you know, Austin Hayes and Ryan Mountcastle. Um, I was thinking Anthony Santander, but who knows? Because it doesn't sound like the Orioles are really happy with how much money they had to pay him. So who knows what's going to happen? But um, Freddie Galvis, you know, good cheap signing, exactly what the Orioles need to do. Um, and, and we'll move on. So you said that, you know, you're not going to get too invested in him. He's not going to be here that much longer. Uh, let's talk about somebody else that's in the same category. The projected starter at second base for the Orioles is a guy whose name I'm sure I'm going to butcher, but it's Yolmer Sanchez. Uh, Sanchez, what do you make of that that signing? Is it basically just carbon copy of everything you just said? And, and maybe even less. I mean, it, it comes back to, is it going to be Sanchez or Jones um, out there at second base? I mean, mm-hmm. who ends up there? I, I, again, I, I see it's so interesting because, you know, we think about um, the infield, the middle infield, and how dynamic that has been from positions for the Baltimore Orioles throughout their franchise history. And, and now we're left with looking up the middle of the infield and being like, who? Like, who be that? Um, so yeah, I, I don't really, I, I, this is another one I'm not going to get emotionally invested in. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I just want those two guys to make it through the season, right? Uh, looking at Sanchez again, you know, he's a one to one and a half war player. Um, uh, again, throw, throw last year out, but you know, uh, in 2019, a 73 weighted runs created plus, uh, 2018, uh, 87, he apparently has, you know, gold glove caliber stuff uh, on the field and plays second base as well as third base. Uh, but when you look at, at guys like Sanchez, uh, and Galvis, I, I, I just worry whether or not their bat is going to keep them in the lineup and, and, uh, you know, the two of them together, I, I worry about exacerbating those holes in the lineup, right? You have one guy that you stick in the nine holes or the eight hole or whatever. Um, you can probably do, you know, you can probably handle that. But if you have you know, your entire middle infield in that same situation, eh, maybe not something you can live with. Again, kind of like Cobb, I, I worry about uh, if we don't have the answer that we're just going to be shuttling guys back and forth. I think I think we're really solid in the utility standpoint. I think if, if Jones or Sanchez is going to be the utility guy, I'm happy with both those guys. And remember, Pat Vlake is coming back, who uh, you know can provide meaningful innings off the bench uh, in the infield as well. I thought you were going to say meaningful hamburgers from Minnesota, but that was just me. <laughs> Well, that as well. I just, I don't know. I, I, I worry about those guys in a way that I didn't necessarily worry about Hanser Alberto. And maybe that's, Folks, you know, maybe that's a, a bias problem. You, you don't need good players. You just need a bunch of utility players out there to fill the holes. It's, it's as simple as that. <sighs> it's it's going to be that a mess. Is- and like I said, the bottom of the order is going to be a disaster. Once you get past sixth and you go to seven, eight, nine. If seven, eight, nine start off your inning, uh, in that inning, just skip it. Just skip it and be like, this must be what Fred Manfred was saying about saving time in baseball. I mean, I, if it were me as, you know, as Brandon Hyde, I would just go up and basically be like, can we just do three strikeouts and just move on to the next inning? Thanks. Really appreciate it. Let's go. As much as I worry about these two guys, I guarantee 
that they will outperform the highest paid player on the team offensively. That's sad, but it's probably true. <laughs> All right, let's bring it in home. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about negotiations for 2021 uh, and possibly beyond between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. Uh, baseball just put another offer on the table, uh, which the Players Association is expected to reject. Uh, and this this package had it all. 154-game season, uh, a delayed start uh, that would have spring training start in, on May 20, or, I'm sorry, March 22nd, and the season start on April 28th. It would expand the playoffs to 14 teams. It would include a, a universal DH, and I, I couldn't find uh, the specifics, but I assume uh, that it will also uh, maintain the uh, extra inning uh, tie uh, rule as well as the seven seven game uh, or seven inning. Uh, double headers, Scotty. I'm 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 not in panic mode yet, but I'm a little worried about baseball labor relations. First, what do you make of the back and forth for the current negotiations, and what do you think is going to happen after the CBA expires on the first of December, 2021? Uh, so first of all, I want to point out that. The fact that this has kind of been put into limbo just a few weeks before spring training is supposed to start um, is just pretty shameless, not my opinion, by Major League Baseball. Um, you know, you've got players that were going down to Florida already. Um, people were renting houses and stuff like that. So to drop this bomb on them and be like, hey, we're actually thinking about maybe pushing spring training March 22nd really is kind of crap is the best way to put it. Um so that that's where I start. We'll start. Um, you know, I, there's a lot that I like about the Major League Baseball proposal. I do think doing a 154 game season actually does make sense. I do think doing expanded playoffs again makes sense. I'm actually a big proponent of expanded playoffs. Obviously, Universal DH makes a ton of sense for me. You know, being an AL fan, um, but I understand exactly where Major League Baseball Players Association is coming back. Of there doesn't seem to be much incentive for the players like they're going about all this additional stuff and they're going to do playoffs and they're going to make major league baseball is going to make much more money like what's in it for them um so i do think that this ultimately gets worked out similar to what we have talked about before um i i do think the season does get delayed i do think we end up having the season start on april 28th um i just wish major league baseball would have had these conversations earlier rather than later. You know, we were famously wrong about, you know, how much of the 2020 season would be played. Uh, I'll eat that. I expected things to be much worse than they were. Um, but I'm not sure I can really fault major league baseball for wanting to push things back. You know, here in Maryland, at least things seem to be trending in the right direction as far as the, positivity rate and uh you know the vaccine is starting to roll out there's certainly nothing about the possibility of playing baseball that's going to be worse uh a month later than than before right i i agree with you on that like i said there's nothing there that strikes me as like it's a worse decision i'm just saying the timing of it could have been better it's the aspect of like it's like getting to the airport and being like oh by the way your flight is canceled um it just it's like 
you you couldn't have let me know like an hour or so ago that my flight wasn't canceled. Um, but it, you know, you look at the whole thing and it does make a lot of sense. Um, there just has to be a little bit more of a carrot out there, I think for the players. Um, and I don't know exactly what it's going to be. Um, but it's not that far off. I don't think in my opinion, you like expanded playoffs. I do seven teams in each league. Sell me on expanded, expanded playoffs. Uh, it gives the Orioles a better chance to get to the playoffs. Okay. Um, all right. Do you do you care about seven and nine teams making the playoffs? No. Really? I don't care. I want chaos. <laughs> this is chaos. We do not whoops here. Um, As a Baltimore fan, I have seen enough teams within the NFL, uh, specifically the Ravens, go in as wild cards and go far enough in the playoffs. So yes, I want to see uh, everybody as possible and see who gets hot at the very end um, and, and see who can come out of it. Um, everyone loves March Madness. Same kind of principle love. Um, we just want to see some insanity occur. Um, we don't come back at the end of the day and say, well, they had the best record for the regular season, so they should win. No, the regular season's different from the playoffs. Give me, give me a chaos and give me insanity. Uh, I, I'm actually good with this. All right. How does how does seven teams work? Because right now we've got five, right? So do we have do we have more one game play ins? Yeah, that's uh, what did we do last year? It was we did. I'm trying to remember what it was now. We had this was what it was this this year was it was there was a bunch of seven gamers. We had a. We had the wild card series. We, no, we, we had the play. Yeah, it was the wild card series, and they played three games each. And then the number one team basically got to sit out of it. I think it was. <laughs> I'm now forgetting this. But yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I do. Like I said, I, I do like the aspect of expanded playoffs. So I'm, a, I'm sure I'm in the minority here. I am actually a big proponent of the 154 game season to go back to that and expand the length of the playoffs, but not necessarily the number of teams involved. Um, I, I, on one hand, love the one-game play-in. So maybe, you know, having a couple of those, you know, like you say, with March Madness could be super exciting. I also wouldn't be opposed to a three-game series for uh, the wild card as it is, and the 154-game season, you know, makes room for that, basically. Yeah. And this past season, it was eight. Uh, so I was mistaken on that one. Um, but I would assume it'd be very similar to what it was for, for football, where maybe it's, you know, the two through seven teams all play a wild card series. And then the number one seed basically gets to sit out. Um, and then whoever wins from that basically goes against the number one team. <laughs> all right. Uh, what do you think? Is there labor peace beyond December 1st, 2021? Um, I think there's definitely going to be a labor issue. There's no question about that. Um, I think the question is, if there's a labor issue, um, how long does it last for? And do we have another delayed season because of it? And I would say yes. Yikes. I, I just, you know, looking at an industry that quote unquote lost $3 billion last year, it seems ludicrous to me to not be able to agree to splitting up 
ten billion dollars. That just that seems crazy to me. It is absolutely insane and ludicrous. But um, again, billionaires love their money. Yeah, yeah, but but again, coming off of investing GameStop. (laughs) <laughs> coming off of covid i just you know it, it just seems crazy to me that they, they won't be able to figure something out. all right uh, let me ask you this this last question uh, since we're talking predictions here we sucked at this last year uh let's talk 2021 do you think a full season gets played and if not how many games do you think so i, I do think a full season gets played uh this year um, and I do think it ends up being 154 games, um, which I guess, I guess someone could come back and say, well, that's not really a full season. Um, but in reality, there has been conversations in the very near past, even before COVID about potentially going to 154 game season and going to expanded playoffs, um, in order to kind of shorten season and, and get more games in, in September and October. Um, so I do think we're going to see a full season of 154 games. Okay. Uh, do you think that there will be fans in the stands in 2021? I think the Rays owner said it best when he said, we are really good with dealing with an attendance in our stadiums of around 10,000. So yes, I do think that we will see fans in the stands. And I do think that in a lot of stadiums, it will be just a partial amount. Um, and I think we will see fans in the stands as it relates to Camden Yards at some point. Um, in in late spring all right all right well scotty that takes us cleanly around the bases let's take a quick break come back and blow the save and then get out of here Scotty, I don't know if I need to see a doctor, but I've got the itch. Um, I've got I, I've got a cream for that. It's it's, endor- it, it's endorsed by Brian Roberts. Is it the cream or the clear? Uh, it's it's uh, both actually, and a B twelve shot too. At what at what point do you start to get the itch for baseball again? Um, for me, I start to get the itch when I'd say football season is over. I start to be like. All right, it's time. Um, but I would say that I really get the itch um, about two to three weeks into spring training. Like, like I enjoy seeing them come back, um, and then I watch them do the warm ups, and I watch them do a few things. And I men watch in shorts, men in shorts, exactly. Um, you know, bending, stretching, flexing, everything like that. Uh, and then I watch maybe you know the first few games of spring training and listen to them, and then I'm like. Okay, I want the real thing um, is the best way to put it. Um, So I'd say by in a typical year, I'd say like first week of March is like when I'm like, I want real baseball. So Henry pulled out MLB the show the other day and um, my boy. (laughs) Yeah, right. I was uh, was teaching him to play. And, and, uh, you know, so he's been playing a couple games of that and just listening to a faux baseball game be called and watching his excitement about just the game of baseball in general has has gotten the tingles in me i'm i'm looking forward to baseball season again and uh 
Yeah, it's it's probably much earlier than usual. At this point, I'm still, you know, like, oh god, I, I can't even think about baseball right now. But uh, I I'm I'm starting to get there. So you know, I'm checking in, doing a lot more reading, you know, looking forward to to you know all the the ins and outs and the details. But uh, gosh, it'll be good. It'd be good to have baseball back. So did he get excited too while he was playing the game of like getting ready for the baseball season as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Did you have a sit down conversation with him and saying, Hey, um, we're not going to go outside and play wiffle ball with the kids around the neighborhood. Uh, no, this kid, this kid is already, uh, pretty locked down. The real, the real question is, you know, what will the little league season look like? Oh, I just don't want anybody sliding into his arm. (laughs) You're so cruel. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little inside baseball there. Uh, my kid has broken his arm twice. Most recently he was playing backyard baseball with a friend and he slid into second and the kid stepped on his forearm and snapped both bones. Also, Scott, you're a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media, on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, and on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. Scotty, we got to get on Parlor. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.